Guys, we go back uh, to our study of Roman Catholicism tonight. I just remind you of a couple of things as to where this thing all uh, originated. Uh, it has to do, of course, with uh, uh, it traces its roots back to the, the trip to Israel back in October, where so many things that we saw were um, um, somewhat very alarming and somewhat uh, off-putting. And so, um, and then Islam and her, um, uh, I mean, just mean, mean, wicked things. So I, I uh, decided on the plane on the way back that uh, I would address those two issues. And so um, then I com- come to find out that um, Roman Catholicism has pronounced a, a, an anathema on us. Anyone who believes in the doctrine of justification by faith alone is under the uh, Roman Catholic Church's anathema. We are, we are cursed because of our commitment to justification and by faith alone. And so I thought, well, that makes it even all the more urgent for us to figure out um, where the truth is concerning some of these matters. We've really covered only two matters. We spent, uh, I guess it was three or four weeks, on the doctrine of justification by faith alone, sola fides. And then we, um, we spent two weeks on papal infallibility. And now tonight we move to another very key issue in the, in the whole um, discussion. It has to do with Mary. Um, and there's a lot to say about Mary. Um, let me open with, um, with a quote. Actually, it's just a little segment out of an article that appeared in the Life magazine uh, several years ago. Um, this is a Life magazine article, and the author asks or begins by asking this. Why are two billion Hail Marys said daily? Why did five million people, many non-Christians, visit Lourdes, it's in France, this year to drink the healing waters? Why did more than 10 million trek to Guadalupe, it's in Mexico, to uh, pray to Our Lady? Why is it thought that more girls have been named for Mary than any other historical figure? Why the apparitions? Why the need to talk with her? Why are Mary hymns creeping into Methodist songbooks? How can it be that Mary adorns the banners of liberals who seek a greater role for women in all churches and also those of conservatives who would keep ministries all male? I think that just introduces the whole idea of the impact or the role or the the emphasis that Mary gets in Roman Catholicism. And all of that, um, really in spite of the skimpy uh, New Testament discussion about her, everything that we know about Mary is really said in six New Testament passages. There's, of course, the Christmas story uh, where you get some information. You get the uh, the boyhood scene of Jesus in the temple. Remember that? Uh, when he was 12, that, that's one. Then there is um, the, the, the passage in Matthew 12, where Jesus asks his audience, who is my mother? And he says, whoever obeys my will is that passage. There's the John 2 passage about the water turned to wine in Cana. And then there's, of course, the cross. She, she is a president at the cross. And then one other passage in Acts 1, when the church um, is waiting for this promise of the Father um, and is gathered and selects uh, the replacement for Judas and all that. So those are really the, 
The only six places where Mary is mentioned, um, and, and not really, I mean, really only mentioned in a couple of them. But out of that, um, out of, uh, well, I shouldn't say out of that, but um, we get we get we get this. We get this. We get um, Mother of God. Perhaps you've heard of the Theotokos. Um, uh, I'm going to come back to that word in a minute. But uh, you get uh, Queen of Heaven. Th- these are just, uh, these are not, na- there's all kinds of names. Um, but you get her perpetual virginity. Did you know that uh, Roman Catholicism claims that Mary was perpetually a virgin? That she gave birth to Jesus but remained a virgin throughout the rest of her life. You get, uh, excuse me, that's four. Uh, You get the assumption of Mary. Um, Everybody knows what that is, I think. (laughs) The assumption of Mary is... um, uh, that is, that she she ascended into heaven, she was assumed into heaven, she did not experience death uh, and um, uh, the whole idea that you and I would experience. She was a, like like Enoch, you know, walked with God and then God just took him. That's that's an assumption. That's a, the, the assumption of Mary, that, that is included. And then, of course, the Immaculate Conception, which I continue to um, find it just so intriguing that um, that most Protestants, and according to one former Catholic in the room, says that Roman Catholics don't know what this means, that Immaculate Conception does not refer, I say it again, it does not refer to the virgin birth. The virgin birth is a doctrine that all of Christianity believes in, but the Immaculate Conception is something vastly different. In fact, I printed off some articles for you and I'd love for you to stop in and, and take a look at them. Um, but let me just read you just a couple of sentences about the Immaculate Conception. But by a special intervention of God, undertaken at the instant she was conceived, she was preserved from the stain of original sin and its consequences. She was, therefore, redeemed by the grace of Christ, but in a special way, by anticipation. That's immaculate conception. Did you get that? That the moment of her conception, uh, by a miracle of God, um, she was preserved from the stain of original sin. So, whereas you and I were born, um, uh, all of Christendom believes, in uh, with original sin, she avoided that. Now, all of these things, guys, has, has opened Roman Catholicism to the charge of Mariolatry. All of these things, and there's others, but all of these things are subsumed under this idea of Mary being worshipped. Mariolatry. Now, where does all of this come from? And, and that's what, uh, I have a quote for you that, guys, um, this is really introducing something that we'll look at later. But I thought it might fit here first. 
Um, it's just just a little bit there, but I mean, try to listen to this. This this is. Um, I know you don't like to be read to. Uh, who does? But um, <laughs> by the way, this is from a Roman Catholic uh, site called Catholic Answers. I mean, you can go print it off too. I mean, you know, you've got a computer far better than mine. Um, listen. Since the Immaculate Conception and Assumption of Mary are not explicit in Scripture, fundamentalists, and that would be us, that's what we are called, at least by this website, we are called fundamentalists. Fundamentalists conclude that they are, that the doctrines are false. Now, let me go back to that sentence. Since this and this and by the way, this too, but uh, that he didn't mention that here. This and this are not explicit in Scripture. Those Protestant people conclude that these doctrines are false because they're not explicit in Scripture. You got that? Here, of course, we get into an entirely separate matter, the question of sola scriptura. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you did not realize, uh, when I was in India in, uh, in February, I lectured for 12 hours, excuse me, for 12 sessions, 90 minutes a session, on the subject of sola scriptura. <laughs> but, if you reject these things because they're not in the scriptures, then fundamentalists conclude that they're, they're not in the Scriptures and thus they are false, then of course you get into a separate matter, the question of sola scriptura. Or, the Protestant Bible-only theory. There is no room in this tract, that's what this is, no room in this tract to consider that idea. Let it just be said that if the position of the Catholic Church is true, then the notion of sola scriptura is false. Now, that's a true statement, ladies and gentlemen. Do you see the mutual exclusive exclusivity of the two of those things? If the Roman Catholic doctrine is true, then the doctrine of sola scriptura is false. That's exactly true. But the, you know, can you see, can you reverse that real quickly? If sola scriptura is true, then, get it? You're a sure bunch. Um, okay. There is no problem with the church officially defining a doctrine which is not explicitly in scripture so long as it is not in contradiction to scripture. Okay, two more sentences, and, and, and these, are, these are doozies. The Catholic Church was commissioned by Christ to teach all nations and to teach them infallibly. Guided, as he promised, by the Holy Spirit until the end of the world. Now get this last sentence, ladies and gentlemen, because this is, this is marvelous. The mere fact that the church teaches that something is definitely true 
is a guarantee that it is true. Did you get that? The mere fact that the church teaches that this is true is a guarantee that it is true. Where'd that come from? It came from, it came from rejecting sola scriptura, which is, which is going to be our last subject. That's going to be the one on the tail end, sola scriptura. And again, I could go for 90 minutes 12 times <laughs> uh, on sola scriptura. We're not going to do that. But um, guys, I, I, I'm asking you the question, where did this come from? That was the question I posed. And I just answered it. I just told you, we fundamentalists, we reject these things because we don't find them in Scripture. But the Roman Catholic Church says, no problem. No problem that it's not in Scripture. Because, because if the church teaches it is true, then you can be guaranteed that it is true. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, uh, back when we did papal infallibility, I read you some of the, the, the papal errors that have been demonstrated historically about one guy changing his view on Christology. One, one time they said, you know, you can be saved outside the church, and they say you can't be saved unless you're inside the church. By the way, um, I would love for you to see these. You're welcome to come look at them. Here's one on the perpetual virginity of Mary. Um, by the way, these are not written, these are, these are not Wikipedia articles. These are drawn from Catholic websites, Roman Catholic websites. Um, and here, this is called, um, Catholics United for Faith. This one right here. This is on Mary's perpetual virginity. This one is too, but this one is on immaculate conception and consumption. I mean, assumption. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> not a consumption. <laughs> she was drinking a little heavy, but, um, <laughs> that was really tacky. Uh, but guys, all, all I'm trying to ask you, all I'm trying to point out is, here's, here's some doctrines that, that swirl around. Life magazine said, why do you, why do you, listen to this. Two billion Hail Marys said a day. Where did all this come from? How do we explain this? Well, I mean, um, I said there was skimpy evidence in the New Testament, but, but guys, Skimpy or no, it's not needed. Because if the church teaches... Ladies and gentlemen, do you believe that everything that I preach to you is the gospel truth? Then shame on you. <laughs> no, that is that you don't. Um, no, But surely, I mean, really, most people come to church not to hear me what I have to say. They just come to hear if I get it right. You know, according to their predispositions. Guys, I mean, do you, do you believe that everything that Gracie Van teaches is an infallible statement of truth? That, that word was in there, infallibly. Do you believe that? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that about Bellevue? Or how about First Evan? Uh, Second Press? Do you think any of us have the, have the truth cornered? 
You know, one of my heroes, John Calvin, said, I've said this to you before, no man is ever over 70% right. And yet, I'm being told that if the church teaches this, that's a guarantee. You need, you need, you need to ask no more questions. Don't worry about it anymore. Just, you know, just jump in there. Now, um, let, let's just, um, let me just comment on these things. Uh, Theotokos, uh, it's, it's a Greek word. Um, it really, tokos does not mean mother. The Greek word for mother is mater, as you might have heard. But um, it means God-bearer. Um, but it has become the cry of the Roman Catholic Church that she was the bearer of God or the mother of God, queen of heaven. You know, um, the, the Bible, I'm going to read you some quotes about her being the queen of heaven in a minute, but the Bible never teaches anything about heaven having a queen. It does mention heaven having a king, but not a queen. And then perpetual virginity. Um, you can figure out what that means. That is that uh, after Jesus was born, she and Joseph never were intimate. And yet the New Testament teaches that Jesus had some brothers, or at least half-brothers. One of them was the author of the epistle, James. James is considered the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, I think you know that. I mean, he's considered the half-brother because they have the same mother, but they don't have the same father. But now, was James born of a virgin as well? I mean, um, but it doesn't have to be come out of the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. Do you see that? And do you see how that cuts you loose into, <coughs> pardon me, incredible. I shouldn't have done it like that, should I? I shouldn't have done it like that. Um, the assumption of Mary that she just kind of was taken up into heaven and then immaculate conception. Um, guys, most of this stuff that, that you see there. Um, really can find its earliest traces in literature to a document called the Proto-Uangelion of James. It's an apocryphal document. Um, you've heard of the word Proto-Uangelion. It's called the first gospel, called the first gospel of James. Um, and it, it it's there in which you get this incredible story about the birth of Mary. Um, it is there, I mean, in this document, that it is also stated that she would, she was remained a virgin through her entire life. Justin Martyr, you might have heard of that name before. He died in 165. Uh, Justin Martyr compares and contrasts Mary with Eve. You know, the Eve in the garden, the, the, the two most prominent women in the Bible. Um, Irenaeus, these are just church fathers that names you may, maybe have heard or read. He died in two, uh, 202. He says, and I quote, that the disobedience of the virgin Eve was atoned for by the obedience of the virgin Mary. Now, um, nobody knows that Eve was a virgin, but that's not really the most upsetting part of that sentence. The most upsetting part is that she was atoned for, her sin was atoned for by Mary. Um, I think I've showed you my famous picture. Uh, this is not a drawing. It is a picture of a cross outside a church in Rome. I've got the name of the church on the back. If you'd like to Google it, you can do the same thing I did. And it is a cross 
Uh, on one side is uh, hanging the Lord Jesus, um, which um, uh, some people have troubles with. And then on the other side of that same cross is Mary. Um, and she is called the co-redemptrix. Um, and the tricks on the end just means that it's a female. She's the co-redeemer, which gives rise to statements like these, that she atoned for the obedience of Mary. You can see this picture if you'd like to. I mean, I, I um, um, Tertullian, um, really one of the most prolific authors of the ancient church, uh, he died in 222. Uh, he was really the first one who raised a voice against the, um, the Immaculate Conception. Um, he also taught, Tertullian did, that uh, after the birth of Mary, excuse me, after the birth of Jesus, that Mary and Joseph lived in a normal marital relationship, which you can understand what he is suggesting. All I'm saying is the, 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 the first place you get most of this stuff is in a document that is purely apocryphal. It's, it's written, I mean, even the Roman Catholic Church would call it apocryphal. It's not in, it's called the Proto-Evangelion of James. Um, it's not a part of scripture, but that's where, that's where these things got their first mention. Um, but, but it is that work that has given rise to so much of this stuff that is associated with Mary. Um, this phrase, the mother of God, originated in the Council of Ephesus in 431. Um, it occurs in the Chalcedonian tree, the creed that was adopted in Ephesus in 451. Um, that, that phrase has caused much conversation and debate, particularly from the, from the Protestant end of things, because, and, and I'm not sure this is a great argument, but it is an argument that, um, a mother is one who gives birth, so did Mary give birth to God. And most Protestantism would, would suggest that no, she did not. She was the mother of Christ's Divin- she was she was not the mother of Christ's divinity. She was only the the, the uh, mother of his humanity. But that's a very thin, shaky argument, ladies and gentlemen, when you start dividing up his divinity and his humanity. I just mention it because there are those who uh, who answer. But guys, um, don't do that to Jesus. Don't say you know this half is divine and this half is human. Don't do that. That that can get you into a real um, cult. Um, that you, you want to try to avoid. Um, but because of this title, she has been portrayed as, as being um, um, more sympathetic, more approachable. Um, and uh, this is a quote from Bernard of Clairvaux. Anybody ever heard of Bernard of Clairvaux? Anybody ever heard that, that name? Okay, one, but... I mean, you know, you can Google him too. He's 12th century. But he says this, and I quote, If you fear the Father, go to the Son. If you fear the Son, go to the Mother. Um, By the way, Jesus never called her his mother. He called her woman in John 2. Um... But most of us would say that he um, uh, that his she is not uh, 
She is the bearer of the Christ child, but have, have a little problem using this term Theotokos. Because, not because it's so, um, so much in error, but because it is so dangerous in terms of, um, what it could imply or it, it suggest. Um, along with this term Queen of Heaven, you get, um, you get these terms. The gate of heaven, the mother of grace, the mother of mercy, the door of paradise, the queen of angels, and the queen of the apostles. So, I, I mean, all of those derive, I think, from that second thing up there. Um, all of these titles, um, I, I don't know whether it's the titles that have done it. I don't know how it happened, but she has become the object of worship. Now, uh, thus the charge of Mariolatry. Now, in case you're not convinced, uh, how many of you have ever heard of a Hail Mary? You've heard of Hail Marys. Okay, Ava Marias. Um, yeah, they're the same thing, by the way. Um, and, in fact, when you do works of penance, you remember how we looked at justification by faith? That if you, that if you sinned mortally, if you, if you committed a mortal sin, you lost your, your stance, your justification stance, and so you could renew it, you could get re-justified by doing works of penance. Well, the work of penance that is the most frequently um, given or assigned to get back your justification is the saying of Hail Marys. But do you know what those say? Let me read you one. I mean, now, let me read you. Hail Mary. It's not just Hail Mary. <laughs> um, oftentimes, to do penance, you have to say this 50 times. It's a nice round number. And this is what you say. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among, amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, and at the hour of our death, amen. Now, guys, um, there's nothing in particular that's offensive about that statement. What's offensive about it is, it is a prayer on our parts that is addressed to Mary. When, ladies and gentlemen, were we ever told to pray to Mary? In fact, normally, the, the, the prayer of the, of the Bible is addressed to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that kind of ring a bell? A familiar bell? Pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Spirit. That is a prayer that is supposed to be used 50 times that is putting me back into my justified stance. Um, and it is a prayer to a woman. I don't mean that sexistly. <laughs> it's a prayer to a creature. Woman or male. She has been made an object of worship. She's called a co-redemptrix, as I said, and now she's prayed to. Um, 
let me read you this. This is just something I found in a book, uh, which I found just so interesting. The devotions to Mary are undoubtedly the most spontaneous of any in the Roman Catholic worship. Now listen to this. This is attendance at Sunday Mass is obligatory. I didn't know that. Under penalty of mortal sin, if one is absent without good reason. Now I think that's a good policy. Don't don't y'all. Uh, <laughs> and I just want you to know that Gracie Van holds to that policy. If if you are not here with 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 an excused absence, you have committed a mortal sin. Just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, okay. And, but the all right. So you you've committed attendance at Sunday mass is obligatory under penalty of mortal sin if you're absent without good reason. So you got to go to church because you're obligated. And if you don't perform it, you've committed mortal sin. Then he goes on to say this, which is the interesting part. But the people by the thousands voluntarily attend novenas for the sorrowful mother, Almost every religious order dedicates itself to the Virgin Mary. National shrines, such as those at Lourdes, France, Fatima in Portugal, and Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico, are dedicated to her and attract millions. The shrine of Saint Anne de Beaupre in um, Quebec, the most popular shrine in Canada, is dedicated to St. Anne, who, according to apocryphal literature, was the mother of Mary. Thousands of churches, schools, hospitals, convents, and shrines are dedicated to her glory. Do you see the point he's making? Going to church on Sunday to worship in a Roman Catholic church, that's obligatory. You better be there, boys and girls, because if you're not, you're going to be guilty of a mortal sin, and somebody's going to have to give you 50 Hail Marys to say. I'm, I'm not trying to, I guess I am being catty, and I don't mean to be, guys. But, I mean, it's just, it's, it's unthinkable. But that's obligatory. But attendance to these things dedicated to the Virgin Mary? Completely voluntary, and millions of people are visiting her shrines annually. Um, oh, guys, I don't know where to quit. Let me, let me, um, I want to quit with a joke. But actually, it's not a joke. But I got to find the joke. Um, foot. I can't find my joke. Um, but it, it has to do with, um, here it is, here it is. Um, I, I have, according to my watch, six minutes, so I, I, I don't want to move further. I just want to conclude with a little something, and we'll come back to it next week. But um, here's the joke. I, I'm reading the joke. Once upon a time, the Lord went walking through the streets of heaven. And he saw a lot of people who had no business being in heaven at all. 
So the Lord goes to the gates of heaven where St. Peter sits at his laptop. He says, Simon Peter, you've let me down. There are people with no business being here and you let them in. Boss, it's not my fault. Well, says the Lord, who let them in? Well, I don't want to tell you because you'll be angry, says Peter. You better tell me. I'm the boss. Well, says Peter, all right, but you won't like it. I tell them, folks, they can't get in. And don't they go around to the back door and your mother lets them in? Isn't that hilarious? Ladies and gentlemen, um, I mean, that's just, a, that's just a story. I mean, you can't blame Roman Catholicism for that. But it does represent the idea that if you're scared of God, go to the son. If you're scared of him, go to the, go to the mother. Because she's much more sympathetic, and she's much more compassionate, and she, she's a pushover. And so she's being represented as a route, as an entry point to heaven. And where did all that come from? Well, it came from the church who readily admits that it has no foundation in this, in this book and is not embarrassed by that one whit. It's, it's not essential to root your faith in an infallible book because you have an infallible church. Because as the quote, and, I, and I'd love for you to stop in and see the quote. Because if the church teaches anything as true, that's all the guarantee you need. And so I wonder, I wonder how many folks have thought the way that I'm going to be reconciled to God is through Mary. I wonder if anybody's thought that. What the hell? What do you think that did to their their eternal destination? What do you think that happened? I'll let you ponder that. Um, there's more to say about Mary, and we'll say it next week. But guys, uh, um, this is not this is not small pickings. This is. Um, a very serious distinction between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism, and you can figure out which one you believe. Our Father, forgive me if I have been too coy and, and um, um, denigrating. And yet, oh God, this is so awful, it seems to me, that your people deserve to be told just how far off the market is. So I pray that you will um, that you will uh, help them sort out where the truth is to be found and what they can fix their souls upon. Give us a sure foundation, O oh God, one that is laid only by the finished work of Jesus Christ 
and described inerrantly only in the word of truth, your word, the Bible. We're committed to that, Father, though under the anathema of the Roman Catholic Church and denounced as fundamentalists, we, um, we hold fast to a book that we believe you had written that would be everything we need for life and godliness. We're committed uh, not to the book, but to the God who gave us the book. And we pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.